This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Will Egan, the Chief Strategy Officer at Ozmed. Ozmed is an online continuous professional development platform designed for a modern healthcare workforce to complete and comply with mandatory CPD requirements, as well as other learnings. Will walks us through planning, learning and documenting CPD and how this makes meeting APRA and other peak body audit requirements easy. We discuss the theory of planned behaviour and how that relates to an innovative approach Osmed has built to support behavioural change and effectiveness for healthcare practitioners and clinicians to be successful with their learnings through reflection. We also discuss Osmed Teams and how that helps manage team learnings online. Stay with us the whole episode as Will helps us reimagine ongoing professional development for a modern healthcare and telehealth care provider. Let's jump in. Hey, Will, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining me. G'day. Great to see you, Yanni. How's it going? It's going pretty well, mate. Uh, wanted to get you on and have a little bit of a chat about Osmed and uh, some of the good stuff that you're doing with your continuous professional development strategy. Give us a little bit of a background, Will, on the Osmed story, the understated Osmed story. Yeah. Oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah, it is a little bit understated. So, uh, you know, I've always thought of us as a great Australian company no one's ever heard of unless maybe they've worked in healthcare. But it started about 33 years ago, 1987, as a publishing house, publishing textbooks for nursing and midwifery primarily. And then in the late 1990s, our CEO went to a conference in Europe. And at this conference, you know, what was put forward was the notion of the internet and the idea that STEM books, science, technology, engineering, maths, obviously we're in the science category, you know, wouldn't exist anymore. They'd be replaced by the internet. So by the early 2000s, we were building our first e-books. And by the late 2000s, when the iPhone came out and 4G hit the airwaves, you know, 4G or 3G streaming technology, we started creating multimedia content. And yeah, uh, the rest is really history. So the last 10 years, we've really focused on online learning and software development. We haven't published a book since 2012, which our CEO is very proud of, but we also run about 250 to 300 training events a year, so conferences and seminars all around the country. That's got a little bit of a background, but I guess just sort of getting into um, the thick of it, you focus on delivering or upskilling health professionals uh, around Australia. Is that right? Is that a fair sort of short way to That's describe correct. it? So tell us a little bit more about that, and that sort of uh, that kind of underpins the continuous professional development pathway for a lot of health professionals in the country as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. In any given month, maybe um, 250,000 people will use an Osmed service. The vast majority of those are here in Australia. Around 40% of the AFRA-registered workforce use Osmed's portfolio to manage and record their CPD and also to discover education. So basically the way there's kind of like two components to our offering and the first component is a software platform that helps health professionals maintain a portfolio of any learning they've done with any provider. We help them relate it to their competency frameworks, to their standards of practice, 
and obviously tally it all up with all of the varying regulations around how CPD is accrued. So if it's credits, points, hours, units, if it's different categories, um, if there's different um, stipulations around the type of CPD, the subject matter of CPD, we collate all of that in such a way where if they're ever audited, in five, 10 seconds, they can download a full PDF summary of everything that they've done, submit that to the, their board, and hopefully, if they've filled everything incorrectly, do pretty seamlessly through an audit. Yeah, and then the second component of our offering is online learning. OSMED develops a lot of online learning. As I mentioned, our roots are in publishing. So we create about 350, 400 resources a year um, across video, audio, and the written form. We're the only American Nursing Credentialing Center commissions on accreditation accredited provider, which is the ANCC. It's the same organization that accredits magnet hospitals. Um, we're the only accredited provider here in Australia. So we really focus on delivering very, very high quality CPD. It's reliable, it's accurate, it's reviewed regularly, and if it's out of date, it's unpublished. So practitioners don't spend time learning the wrong thing. But we also do a lot of partnerships with other content publishers, reputable content publishers. So uh, Departments of Health, um, the Heart Foundation, the National Prescribing Service, um, and groups like that to distribute their content and help people discover it. When we look at uh, APRA and self-regulated associations, or let's say APRA-registered practitioner types and practitioners who are part of self-regulated membership associations, you're able to actually support the planning, the learning, and that ongoing documentation to evidence the actual, well, in the APRA's case, supporting the APRA registration. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. So basically the CPD cycle, which is continuous. So a yearly cycle of self-reflection, you know, where are your knowledge gaps? Maybe that comes from kind of looking inwards or maybe that's from a performance appraisal or maybe that's an identified gap between a job you have today or a role you have today and a role you want in the future. Developing a learning plan off the back of that gap analysis, finding and planning learning that you may want to do as a result of that with OSMED or with many other providers that you can find the content from on OSMED doing that education, recording it, reflecting on it, did it actually fill the gap? And then if not, replanning your CPD cycle. So helping build the software around that quality framework or that quality system in CPD or the CPD cycle, the CPD process. That's fantastic. I have heard in the past uh, coming out of our community that, um, you know, not, not to a greater extent, but to some extent, some of the challenges of actually just keeping that plan and that documentation and kind of you know, building that evidence along the way as you're doing the different uh, types of um, courses or events or conferences or there may be some mm. information that you're doing, uh, that you're looking into, actually being able to have that aligned with the goals that you've defined for yourself and be able to demonstrate that across a timeline. So I think there's there's a ton of value in that. And that's um, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on and talk about this because mm. you've been able to actually um, put it all online and that provides a great deal of flexibility for uh uh, for health practitioners and um, practice owners who are thinking about how they actually support themselves and their teams by maintaining their uh, professional standing. Yeah. In that regard, all of OSMED's software to maintain a CPD portfolio is free to use, which is why it's so popular, probably. But we also have, um, for organisations, a product called OSMED for Teams, which does all of the CPD element, but also supports the training requirements that a learning management system might normally meet around mandatory training and training against kind of regulation frameworks, like all of the various ones that a practice might have to comply with as part of their accreditation cycles. 
So I think when you go deep in learning and you actually hold the value, which we do at Ausmed, that the virtue that education can genuinely improve patient care, client care, you then really start to look at it in the same way you might run your business. You know, you perform activities, maybe that you engage in education, but then you evaluate whether it's actually had an impact or not. So we build a lot of software to help people uh, run processes like that and not to see education as a tick box, which is historically what it's been, but see it as a fundamental part of a quality framework in a business. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of professional bodies already reflect that within the expectations of their members uh, on how they should um, develop themselves. What Osmed brings to the table, though, is that um, it's a anywhere, anytime proposition. It allows that reflection process as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the, the reflecting aspect of Osmed? Yeah, so basically we did a study on this. So just like the way you would you know, do anything in healthcare, we really try and build software in an evidence-based manner. And in the software world, that's often referred to as data-driven. But one of the challenges with data-driven is software engineers, which is my background in software development, you know, they tend to then only value data that they can collect after the fact. So what we've done is, you know, there's a lot of great research and principles, especially around behavior and psychology online um, that kind of are almost leading indicators as to what somebody would do before you even build any interface. And one of the models that we discovered was a was a model called the theory of planned behavior, which is um, by a chap as Jen. And what he talks about is, and I've got to try and remember this now because there's lots of these models out there, but the theory of planned behavior is basically for any action to occur, somebody needs to form an intention to change. And with the web, with the internet, we as an education provider can't actually measure whether a change in behavior has occurred as a result of education. In fact, um, unless you're a clinical educator on a ward or right at the coalface as an educator, most education providers can't actually ever really measure the impact of their learning on practice. Did what they taught actually result in a change in practice? Um, and that's definitely the problem for us, even kind of more so with the internet. What we are able to measure though is whether somebody forms an intention to change practice. And as Jen's theory of planned behavior says that if they have an intention then they're far more likely to actually change their practice. So basically the way that we look at this is you know, well, that's much better than having no idea. It's not as good as knowing, you know, as fact that they did change, um, but it's a nice kind of place in the middle. So the theory of planned behaviour says that there's three things somebody needs to have. Um, the first thing is they need to have a perception of control, a feeling as to whether they can actually make that change. They need to see social proof that other people think this is a good thing to do or that other people um, believe this is, you know, a positive thing in society or a positive thing for their body. Basically, like a gym is a good one. Do they have control over it? Do they perceive that having a fit lifestyle or a fit body is a good thing? If they do, if all three of those things are present, then the intention to change practice can emerge. And once that intention's there, they're very likely to actually make the change. So what we did was we took this model, we went to our seminars, we collected 3,000 responses. Our CEO actually hand transcribed these into Excel one year over Christmas, which she often talks about as proof of how dedicated she is to the company, even though none of us would ever doubt that. She's still the founder, actually, so been with the business for 33 years um, since its inception. She hand transcribes all of that um, material into Excel. We partnered with researchers at the University of Dublin and another university in the US, 
did kind of like some semantic analysis on the way people were describing the impact of face-to-face education using unstructured data, so just qualitative inputs, what they say, their opinions, you know, strings of text, um, to start to look to look for trends in both the language they used and the frameworks they were following. We took that and then we built an online workflow um, that's our reflection tool. It's built into our documentation process that prompts people with you know hundreds and thousands of different combinations of questions to get them thinking about the specific learning they're doing, um, whether they're identifying barriers in their practice, whether they have any intention to change practice, why not, if, you know, um, if they do, why, um, whether new knowledge was gained or existing knowledge was reinforced, whether there was any assessment component, whether they can actually articulate a specific change they might make. And what this reflection tool does is it collects it all in, it's kind of like dancing, it's constantly asking questions back and forth between the user and the application without stepping on their toes, you know, so that they get to the end of the process and it'll automatically produce a full written reflection for them to then edit and really personalize even further to themselves. It's a really, really cool process. When we launched it, about 20% of the user base used it. I think we're up to about 95% of all documentation now uses this process to reflect. Um, Rather than just giving somebody you know, an empty text input field, you know, and saying, reflect on your learning. The average length of a reflection before this process was something like 10 words. After this process, it's something like 150 or some some number like that. That research was actually published in the Journal of Continuing Professional Development in the US. um, And you can read all about it there if you like. I didn't have that depth of understanding around the um, the background there with the um, with the theory of planned behaviour, but I think that's that's really powerful because and and I know a lot of uh, psychologists who'd be listening would uh, relate to that theory as well. But you're right; it does mm. talk about the intention toward attitude, the subject norms, and the perceived behavioural controls. Having those elements that's in right. place will shape that's that right. individual. Just had a look at the diagram. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, do they have a positive attitude towards it? Do they perceive that they're in control of whether they can change it or not? And are there perceived norms in societal norms like this is a good thing to do? And if all three of those things are present, then it'll be easy for them to form an intention. That's That's my understanding of it, obviously not being a psychologist, but helping build the software around that model. I guess in simple terms, it's about, um, you know, being able to, you know, document your plan, being able to act towards that plan you know, doing the actual learning side of it and walking through those particular uh, modules that are, are being offered and then documenting the, um, you know, the progress that you're making so that you actually habitualise the ongoing uh, continuous professional development. So it, it actually, it really makes so much sense yeah. now that you say yeah. it out loud and you've got your whole model built around that. Now you're saying 95% of your um, subscribers are, are following that process. Yeah, they have a choice as to whether they want to write their own or use the tool. It'd be 90, 95% of the time now the tool is used. Might even be higher uh, since I last checked. People prefer a guided reflection process. I relate to it in um, a non-theoretical way, I guess, or maybe just through my own lived experience. But I do a lot of talks around the industry, around digital health innovation. And I use three terms. I call it mindset, uh, health tech, and um, culture slash systems. Mm. I can map that to that um, that idea that you're you're describing there where you know, it's about actually um, being able to have the attitude, you know, have that mindset towards making a innovation or seeing the opportunity for the innovation to happen. 
and then complementing that with um, not just tools but actually a commitment from the culture within your organisation to embrace it and actually uh, work Absolutely. with it and iterate through it. So not trying to do too much at once but actually just do little steps one one at a time and and progressively and, and the whole team comes along for the ride. So we have an actual cultural transformation in addition to implementing health tech yeah. into the healthcare system. But it all starts with the mindset, doesn't it? And if we if we think we can, we can. Uh, if we think we can't, we can't. We're only limited by that intention at the end of the day. That mindset is actually um, kind of a delineating line for Osmed and always has been in the sense that some people might think that's like quite an arduous process or it's overkill. I don't need to reflect on my learning. And that's totally fine. Maybe they don't. Our view is what's the point of doing education if it doesn't actually work? And we've all been to online everything, conferences, everything, seminars everywhere. You know, we've done the education and it's not been beneficial. Um, and we've just gone back to our jobs and thought, well, that was a waste of time. But the problem with CPD is that you can still claim that as education. And the point of, you know, 10 hours, 20 hours, and you're kind of getting your hours up. But the reality is that CPD is not about just doing learning. It's about doing learning that improves practice. So the type of people and the type of ethos that we're trying to encourage and drive and, you know, a lot of the workforce, the vast majority of the community holds this virtue or believes this way is that it's not about getting your hours up. It's about education that actually works. So OSMED's not really built to be the easy way to tick the box. It's built to be the thorough way to actually get the outcome, the effective way to get the outcome of education leading to change in practice. We've even considered introducing features in that regard where people can you know record learning so that mindset component that you just mentioned i think it's an essential part of it yanni um and also in organizations comes to mandatory training uh yeah look i i personally agree and uh, strongly encourage it with people as well we we can only really change if we accept the possibility and um if we don't accept the possibility then we shouldn't complain about the way things are right now you know so i think it's uh, the mindset is everything and having a healthy attitude towards being open to evolving ourselves. I think a lot of people do it. I mean, there's this concept in um, search uh, engine marketing, for example, called researching, you know, and I think a lot of people could relate to it if they're looking for a pair of shoes or perhaps, uh, you know, uh, some cosmetics or, uh, you know, um, looking at some real estate. When you have an active interest in something, it's easy to actually um, self-learn and research and find out information. But then you're when you're in a professional standing, then your research and your commitment to that ongoing learning process, I think, needs to be formalised because it's um, it's aggregated across the entire industry, and you know we want to be able to actually have some quality. I think you used the term quality there before, where there's um, there's a quality system in place in how we actually deliver healthcare, and the mm. technology won't alone won't do it. The people also have to have a culture of quality, and so that mm. that ongoing professional development is all part of that. There's the clinical evolution of somebody. But there's also, I guess, the business of healthcare and some of those other administrative and um, support um, yeah. scenarios that happen. And you cover quite a lot of that, don't you? You, do, you deal with the clinical stuff. Perhaps why don't we talk about that and we'll sort of unpack the different types of um, uh, professional development that you actually can support. Yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing is absolutely, totally agree. I think the most performant factor in an effective learning program is the people. I try to have analogies for things and the one that's coming to mind right now, I just make them up so you won't have heard this before, but it's, you know, you could probably use the same nail gun to build like a mansion or a shed. And actually it's the same tool. It's just like how big's your vision is the difference there. So I think when it comes to learning software, 
you know, we've all seen things like Moodle and stuff like that, but they're not really built for a continuous learning process. They're built for induction and mandatory training. They're built to tick boxes. So anytime we take that type of software, and it's great software, um, but the traditional learning management systems, and we try and upregulate it to be part of a clinical um, or management, but most importantly, continuous learning process, you know, it starts to become difficult to use. And then that's when the tool starts to impact on the vision. The people wind their vision back. They say, okay, well, we can't do that because of the tool. So that's where the kind of, in terms of your comment, Yanni, for me, that's where the, the line really is, is the software is an enabler. It should definitely not be um, a disabler, but it's no good on its own. It needs somebody with a clear idea, clear vision, and someone who's motivated to, to operate it. So that's on the software side of things. And the reality is the data that we've seen in our application over all time is the average person is learning with 7.8 providers a year. Um, different education providers, and we all know that ourselves. I mean, even this right now is education. Consider this an education provider. Um, it's you know to, for, for some people. Do we have some um, uh, CPD so, points we can allocate to this, mate? Yeah, you could. You could <laughs> CPD hours in some cases. So, who would be the the most common professional group listening? We have a community of, um, in broad terms, allied health. There's mental health, physical uh, therapists, uh, nutritional health and wellness and also experts and advisors who support practices and clinics on a day-to-day basis, uh, and including uh, yeah. you know, health tech innovators, investors also in the space, uh, tend to listen to uh, the podcast. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I was going to try and give you everybody like psychologists or chiropractors or whatnot, like the various kind of credits or allocations. Maybe this is self-directed learning, you know, one hour or one point per hour, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, if you did want to document it, you know. Well, I think your but, website's um, got a, a little bit of detail around those different categories. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some links in the show that, notes. Yeah. But in broad terms, I guess, um, what, what are the type of um, practitioner groupings that um, you support through education yeah, and it, CPD? The company traditionally started in nursing. Um, nursing represents maybe half of the work registered workforce. There's 360,000 registered nurses in Australia out of about 750,000 registered health professionals, registered nurses and, and midwives. So that's why nursing is such a big component of the workforce. That's where Osmed's traditionally been based when on our content side of things, which I'll come to in a second in answer to your earlier question. But in the software side, um, it's right across the, the board, um, and so is the content too now. Pharmacy, chiropractics, uh, all allied health, um, even non-registered professionals. So we have a lot of care workers, for example, we have a lot of um, like social workers. Um, we had a lot of paramedics using Osmed before they became a registered profession in December 2018. I think today there's something like 75 to 80 percent of paramedics in Australia use Osmed's platform. Depending on the level of regulation, so if the regulation's onerous or not onerous but needs more comprehension, um, and the distribution of the workforce, there's typically a higher propensity to use a software tool to organise one's learning. The main group that we don't support would be uh, medical practitioners, um, and the main reason for that is because uh, they're professional associates. There's over 70 specialisations in medicine at last count. Maybe it's more or maybe it's less since I last checked, but the professional associations do a fantastic job at building very custom, unique tools for national registration, but also the professional associations accreditation frameworks as well. And um, OSMED um, sometimes, in some cases, works with those associations or groups to provide 
um, software as a service rather than being the platform itself. So coming back to the content question earlier, um, so we make content kind of lots of different areas right across the spectrum. The vast majority of our content is online, is current within the last three years. Anything that's medications has an annual review date, so it's reviewed every year. Anything that's clinical, we typically review that within a two-year window. Um, it'll always be updated in live time on the fly um, if things change. We're actively monitoring that, regulations, standards, frameworks, guidelines, evidence, whatever it might be. But if after two years it hasn't been interacted with, it'll automatically unpublish itself on our website. And then we have management and kind of soft skills, so leadership, communication, things that you know no one's life is affected too significantly if you get it wrong. You might say the right thing, but that's very different to giving the wrong drug, for example, or the wrong dose of a drug. Um, so that would typically be reviewed on a three-yearly basis. At any given time, we commit to having over 700 resources on our site. There's currently over 1,000 at the moment. As the needs of the workforce change, um, which they are right now very substantially, then we adapt quickly. We might have a big boom in content publishing um, and at other times uh, less so. That's fantastic, Will. Let's break that down a little bit more. The the ways in which um, in which you can work is because your resources um, are quite diverse. You've got uh, you've got a podcast, for example, that's accessible via your website. Uh, you've got explainers. You list articles. It definitely doesn't have as much subscribers as your podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the only thing we've probably dropped the ball on. It's hard to make podcasts. It's very hard. There's definitely a little bit of effort in it. Yeah, but you do articles, you've got guides to practice, uh, you've got video lectures, mm -hmm. online courses, learning hubs. You guys have really done a great deal there to actually um, equip, you know, clinics and practice owners to, you know, be able to kind of develop a resource model that actually works for themselves and their teams uh, going forward. What about the event we side of things? We have explainers as well. Yep, the explainers. Um, tell us, Tell oh, us more about that. Yeah, there's kind of a bit of a macro trend, rightfully or wrongfully, where... We're trying to fit as much education in as, on as many topics um, within a very limited time window. So in some organisations, that could be eight to 10 hours of allocated study leave a year um, or study time. Um, we're not really seeing so much study leave anymore in the form of like physically leaving and going to an event um, as much as we used to. But what that's meaning is like an hour course. If the course is an hour, then the organisation can only support staff to complete maybe eight hours or eight courses a year. So the way that we think about our learning is kind of like a pyramid. At the top, we have these explainers, which are one to two minute videos on key concepts. They're definitely not the right learning option if you're trying to go from no knowledge to a thorough knowledge, but they're a good option for if you're trying to go from, I've done this for lots of years, but I just want a quick update on what was it exactly. You know, and then you can watch in one minute, here's how to do X, here's how to say Y, here's how to find Z, you know, whatever it might be. What's a good use for that, Will? Is that something that, uh, for example, you can build into your occupational health and safety framework, uh, you can build into your policy documentation and your practice or clinic HR processes? Is yeah, that, would that be a good place for yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. So um, a clinical example and a, and a management example. So um a clinical example would be right now um, adventitious breath sounds. So that's a two-minute video that has different breath sounds that a clinician might listen for if they were trying to diagnose or identify respiratory disorders, maybe pneumonia, for example. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that's two minutes and the video includes audio on each of the sounds to look for um, and the features of those sounds. So great example, you've done it for many years, you do it all the time, but you just want to refresh your knowledge. Um, on the management side of things, it could be things like simple, like manual handling, lifting. It's like here's two minutes on correct lifting technique again, or here's two minutes on correct documentation process. So taking your existing knowledge and just a refresher on a regular basis. Let's talk about the Teams model, because I think as uh, as a clinic owner or a practice owner uh, out there uh, who uh, is dealing with Teams, whether they be uh, in clinic or remote, in light of the new world and um, and the way that we're sort of responding to COVID-19 and beyond. Tell us a little bit about the learning online framework for Teams, how that works yeah. for a practice owner to be able to actually um, develop a content strategy with the practitioner uh, or the clinician and then implement yeah. that and set up the steps uh, around what's must do versus nice to do and so on and so forth. Tell nice us a bit about do. that. Teams is probably the thing in my whole time at Osmed over 13 years now, um, the thing I'm most excited about, to be honest. Basically what it is, is a free learning management system. So you can organise all of your staff's mandatory training for your accreditation processes, um, but also oversee their continuing professional development on Osmed completely free of charge. That's on the software side of things. You can upload your own content. So if you've got your own training modules or you know of resources that are reputable that exist elsewhere on the web, you can link out to them. You can assign that education to your staff, either making it mandatory or just kind of recommended, and the system will report on when that's done. Every time a staff member completes their learning, um, this is the unique thing that Osmed is able to offer because we support the individual to do the CPD, but also the organisation to manage mandatory training. Every time a learning event is um, recorded, so an instance of learning gets recorded, it goes two places. One, into the person's individual CPD portfolio for their own registration with their board, and two, into your mandatory training system or your learning management system so that you can tally up compliance around registration or regulation or accreditation frameworks as pertaining to your organisation. So think like the ASQHS standards, um, the aged care standards, various practice standards that exist, even um, professional associations or um, industry bodies that you're accredited with, the standards that sit around that can help you report against that. Osmed's built that software and made it free, just like our portfolio, because our view is, you know, your education budget shouldn't be being spent on software. It should be being spent on education. So it's pretty fantastic. There is a premium um, level to the software that is paid for, but for the free tier, you can completely upload, assign and report on mandatory training that's being done. Yeah, I think you've done it. You've done a great job there, mate. And um, just the way that those um, features have been thought through, uh, the way you can collaborate with the team, I think it's fantastic for creating that kind of uh, relationship between uh, the individual clinician or practitioner and um, the practice or clinic owner to be able to actually work through a, a way that kind of, you know, deals with perhaps um, the uniqueness of an individual, but also with the general requirements of that particular practice or clinic to be yeah. able to adopt a standard. And there's that word again, quality in the way that yeah. the actual healthcare services are um, uh, delivered yeah. and how that business operates. And um, I think the report on staff compliance as well um, is a little bit understated. I think it's very significant because it actually shows progress, yeah. doesn't it? You're actually able to demonstrate that um, various uh, aspects of the uh, professional development are now complete and what is um, still outstanding. Exactly, yeah. So you can um, have compliance on 
um, you know, largely there's like two sets of regulation in healthcare. There's one on the individual, which is kind of, you know, channeled through AFRA and the, and the 16 boards, and then one on the organisations, um, which is channeled through a whole lot of different accrediting frameworks. And elements of those accrediting frameworks require education to be being delivered, as we all know. Um, but the administering and checking, you know, tick, this is the kind of typically what ends up being a tick box exercise, which we try to avoid through our software, you know, is basically being able to log in and say, okay, I had to have all of my staff complete education in these 12 areas, 100% of them have done it, or all of them have done it except this person, and then you know exactly who that is and you can work with them to get that done. But traditionally, those two systems have been separate. So basically, where you get your staff to learn and where they learn have been two different places. The benefit of Ausmed is where they learn and where you get to do education is the same place. So we actually have this fantastic feature which we call recognise prior learning. So if the staff member's done the same or equivalent learning for another workplace, maybe three months earlier, or privately in their own practice, you can actually recognise that education and mark them off as having met your requirements as well. You know, they don't have to do the same education over and over again. That's great. And it also, each one of those uh, components, uh, when I was looking at it, has an indicator of how much time is needed to invest in that particular piece as well. Yep. So you can actually a duration. plan it yeah. um, in and around uh, the workday and uh, the business of life and what have you. So it really is sort of learning anywhere, anytime, isn't it? You know, you can sort of completely yeah. flexible. So if we're in a, in a remote scenario in the way that we deliver healthcare, this is a remote way to actually keep that person connected into the evolution of your practice or clinic, moving as one progressively together as as the organisation moves forward with its overall yeah. level of um, learnings and education and professional development. The default client for the staff member is an application on their phone. So it's very easy to distribute learning. You can also upload a whole resource library of your own content so that if they log into your team page, they can just see all of the content that you think is of, of value right now for them to be doing. Fantastic. Tell us about audit. Because I think uh, at the end of the day, that's uh, that's yeah. something people need to think about when it comes to renewing their registrations every year or potentially having um, APRA do a uh, audit. So take us through uh, that piece as well. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is um, Osmed doesn't, you know, as a provider, kind of guarantee that someone will pass an audit. There's a lot to an audit. Um, and AFRA, in most cases, across most boards, hasn't really published, or as far as I know, haven't really published their audit framework. So we don't necessarily always know what might be involved in an audit. A lot of people who use Osmed software and all of the functionalities contained within it um, have successfully passed audits, but really the onus to do that definitely lies with the practitioner. So we kind of give them all the tools. They're typically audited in four areas. One is a recency of practice, so they're actively practicing. Two, a police check. Three, they have professional indemnity insurance. And four, that they're engaging in ongoing education, basically not resting on the knowledge that we gain when we graduate from university for the entirety of our careers, but you know, actively upskilling, which we all do and it's built into the system. Um, but they just want evidence in those four areas. Now, the key thing often about the, the auditing around learning is they're not interested in certificates or things like that. They're interested generally in your assessment or self-reflection, which is why reflection is so important, on whether that was actually the benefit to your practice. So some of the things that we hear are things like somebody had 30 hours, but they've had feedback that, you know, 10 hours of their education was not relevant to their scope of practice, that that's actually a shortfall and they need to do education 
to fill those areas, for example. So it's not often so binary as like you've got tick the box or you've got the right number of credits, units, points, hours, whatever it is. It's more the ethos, the underlying idea of are you maintaining currency? Are you maintaining confidence and competence within your practice? And the hours, you know, the way to think about the hours is 20 hours is the minimum. It's not the target, it's the minimum. Um, in, in nursing, 30 points is the credits is the minimum in pharmacy. I think it's 30 hours in paramedicine, that's the minimum. These aren't, you know, I kind of think of it's like getting 50% on an exam. You've just passed, but don't stop. And there's a lot of people who don't stop, the vast majority. So the average, say, in nursing is 20 hours. The average amount we see documented is closer to 30. Does that help? Does that make sense? It does. And um, your question? I think the key to it is that it's it's contemporaneous. So it's happening, um, it's being documented in line with the actual progress that the individual is making. Mm-hmm. And you're able to actually pull it down and show it to somebody who might have an interest in that progress, whether it's an auditor or um, or a supervisor yeah. or, uh, so or a clinical practice owner. Audited, yeah, you can tab across to the report tab and it runs you through a checklist of things that you that we know should be in your portfolio. We don't know of the quality of how you've actually written them or addressed them, um, but we know they should be in there and we tell you if any are missing. And then if you've got them all there, you can download a report in 10, 20 seconds. And depending on how much you've documented, that could be a 30-page document. If you're audited, you might be audited for three, four, five years. I think they say up to five years or maybe up to three years. So you could go in and download the last three reports in a minute, put them in an email, send them off. Compliance done. If you're using the tool effectively, yeah, you won't ever be worried. That's awesome, Will. So this show is called uh, Reimagining Healthcare and uh, I'm kind of obsessed with that idea uh, in how we kind of evolve healthcare and modernise it. So the idea of um, professional development going forward, education, support for your teams, what's it going to look like, do you think, in, um, you know, three to five years and beyond? Where are we going with all this? I guess I could look at this from two ways. One is like what's happened in the last 10 years you know, so what might happen in the next 10 years? And definitely there's an increase in regulation. So 10 years ago, we didn't have national registration. Today, we've got the entire workforce, bar a few professional groups that will probably still be registered over the next few years being registered. If you look at situations like in aged care where we have healthcare workers, care workers, personal care assistants, there's an estimated, by my counts, half a million care workers, PCAs, assistants in nursing, healthcare workers, working across the system that aren't registered, they might be registered. That's possibly a trend, but definitely an increase in regulation and an increase in the requirements around that regulation. So maybe after what we've seen this year, there might be a stipulation around preparedness for pandemic response as a mandatory training element right across the system and annual competency effectively. I think the second thing is validation and verification. So this is really dealing with this problem of We've done the education, but is the person feeling confident? Can they actually do what's required? Are they competent? Have we verified this? Has anybody seen this or is there any evidence that they're competent in doing this? Do you actually see you changing the way you provide care to your clients as a result of what you've learned? And if not, do you need to do more education in this area? Was your need actually addressed? Was your hunger satiated? So I think systems, both the content itself and the software, and for mindset, actually, maybe that's kind of similar to your framework of um, mindset, reimagination, and technology. Are they the three pillars? It is, yeah. 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 So across those three areas, 
you know, how can we get clearer on measuring whether education's impactful or not? And if it's not, stop doing it and change the way you do it. So I think they're the, they're the trends. I think software will help enable that because we can collect data. It gives us that observation. But if the mindset's not there, and we see that mindset present in a lot of leading um, allied health providers even, uh, especially with remote teams. And I think they're the, they're the trends. Better efficacy of learning, an increased requirement across the board for more of it to be done. And available anywhere, anytime to Definitely, basically support yeah. support a reimagined healthcare system that can actually um, have a distributed workforce and be able to provide services in person and remotely uh, as well yeah. uh, going forward. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why where any technology company in healthcare has been successful, it's a perfect partnership, in my view, between the software skill set and the clinical clinician professional skill set of health. Thank you, Will. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time today and telling no us about Osmed and um, Anywhere, Anytime. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Learnings and the continuous professional development. And you've been doing some great stuff. We'll put some links in the show notes around Osmed. We'll put some links on the theory of planned behaviour as well. I think that was ASGEN, was it? A-Z-J-E-N. A-Z-J-E-N. So we'll get that going as well. So once again, Will, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.